Uh, we're in the book of First and Second Kings. It was it really originally to be one book, and uh, if you're wondering or if you've read First and Second Kings, it's got some wild stuff in here. Okay, uh, Elisha at one time his bones are buried in a grave, and a man who is buried and touches his bones comes back to life. Okay, this is happening in the Word of God in the book of Kings. I want to preach Kings at some point all the way through, but right now we're just only able to preach one passage, so we'll have to hold our horses there for one book, but um, we're preaching uh, our, our series, um, Christ in all of Scripture. As we look at every book of the Bible, we're looking at one central text in which shows us how Christ is in the Scriptures and how all the Word of God is pointing us to our King of kings and Lord of lords. Last week we saw David. He was a man after God's own heart and, 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 and how he humbled himself to be exalted just the same way as Jesus humbled himself to be a servant and to die upon a cross only that he could be exalted to sit at the right hand of God. Now the, the story continues through the former prophets from First and Second Samuel to First and Second Kings, as David has brought the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of Jerusalem, and he set it upon a hill, the Temple Mount. And yet there is no temple that is built for the Lord. The Lord builds a house. For David. And at the end of the book of 2 Samuel, we see that David is not the king who we need. We need a better king to David. David is only pointing us to Jesus. We need a better king than David. We need the one who will not fail as David fails. But then he is restored back and... We're looking to this promised one who will come through the line of David. The prophet Isaiah says, from the root of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. But when David and the Lord are speaking about this house that will be built for the Lord, the temple, 2 Samuel seven sixteen says this, the Lord's promise to David, this is so important to understanding the book of Kings right here. You have to understand this text to understand what's going on in the book of Kings. And your house, talking to David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the promise to David. And how does the book of Kings end? The people are in exile. They are cast out from the land in which God has promised. How can his promise stand for David here? Well, the book of Kings tells us how the, the promises stand. And obviously Christ will be the full, full fulfillment of the promise of David that his kingdom will be forever because Jesus is in the line of David. Isn't that beautiful? This is the promise. Just as Abraham's promise was the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, God's kingdom will now come through David. The word of God will remain faithful and true. Amen? How do we get here? Well, we begin with Solomon, the son of Bathsheba and David, who is declared king. And he dedicates the temple in Jerusalem, and the account in 1 Kings 8 is Solomon, who is David's son, who builds this beautiful temple. This is his heart. Listen to it. It's beautiful. Solomon seems like he is, he is on point. Listen to what he says here. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the, 
to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with his hands outstretched towards heaven and he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us. As he was with our fathers, may he not leave us nor forsake us. Now we have to understand this. May he not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine, with which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant, the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes, keeping his commands, as at this day. Now, there's a lot in there, and I read it all the way through to give you the highlights of the book. That you may know that the Lord is God, that there is no other. That he will keep his commandments, or he will keep his promises to his people, all of them. Now Solomon, we know, he starts out well. This is a great blessing. This is a great prayer from the Lord. He asks the Lord for wisdom, and God gives him so much more than just wisdom. But just as those before him who failed, Solomon will also fail. He will take and he will eat the forbidden fruit, except this time it will be the fruit of foreign women who worship idols. He takes wives from idolatrous peoples and they persuade him to build altars of worship to other gods. This is devastating to the people of Israel. It is devastating to the line of David as the king's Many of them, most of them, will do the same as Solomon did at the end of his life. And 1 Kings 11, 11 says this, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of your hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all of the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Amen? God will keep his promises to show grace and mercy, yet by no means will clear the guilty. He will be true to his covenant promise of David, and yet also he will be true to his word in which said, curses will come upon those who break the covenant. So the kingdom is torn in two, ten tribes going to the north with a man named Jeroboam who is a servant of Solomon and one tribe left to the house of David, Judah, with the son of Solomon being Rehoboam in the south where Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord is. 
And just as the new king of Israel in the north and Judah in the south, the new king in Israel, Jeroboam, he sets up two new temples. He doesn't want people to go south to Jerusalem because he thinks that they'll be king again. So he sets up new, two new temples, one in Dan and one in Bethel. And in these temples, he sets up golden calves. We remember the golden calf? which Israel worshipped after God had delivered them from the Egyptians. The king of Israel does the exact same thing. And the next 20 kings will come and go in the north and none of them will worship the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that a sad day? Not one of the kings of the, the north will be faithful as David was faithful. There will be eight of the 20 kings in the south who will follow the Lord. But this book is marred like judges with the unfaithfulness of God's people. Lots of death and suffering with only some small glimmers of hope revitalization, restoration. At one point, the people have lost the word of God in the south, which is supposed to be the righteous people, the righteous remnant. They've lost the word of God and they find it in the temple. And the king says, read the book of the law. I never heard it before. Can you imagine God's people losing the the word of God? This is how far... God's people go. And over and over again, the word of the Lord remains. While the kings and the kingdoms are shattered and broken, there is a man who is now called the prophets. And they have taken up the mantle of the one whom the Spirit of the Lord now rests upon. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord rests upon Saul, then it it rests upon David, and then it rests upon Solomon. Now we see this prophet is the one whom the Spirit of the Lord rests upon. How will God fulfill his promise to Abraham and to David, yet also punish the guilty covenant breakers according to what he has said to his word ultimately leading them into exile so the question the book of kings is answering is how does the lord keep his word and the book of king answers that question for us but our god is faithful to keep his promises even amidst an unfaithful people, and he does that through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen? It is only through Christ will David's throne last forever. It is only through God's glory and salvation, through judgment, will God accomplish his purpose. There's a mighty prophet in the northern part of Israel. Remember, they had zero good kings. And he has stood up to the kings. He has called down fire from heaven. And at one time he's hiding in a cave because the kings are coming after him to kill him. And he says, am I the only one left? Am I it? I'm the only one left who proclaims the word of the Lord. I am the only one in northern Israel. There's no king. There's no other prophet. There is nobody left. I am here. Lord, just let me die. I have been zealous for your word, to declare your word to the kings and to the prophets. And I am here and I am alone and I, there is no one else. The Lord says, get up. Here's some food. Get up, Elijah. Because my word will remain forever. This story recounts in 2 Kings 2, the passing of the torch 
of the remnant who will be filled with the Spirit to proclaim the word of the Lord to Israel. It's almost like a promise to the people of Israel that God's word will not die. It will continue. Amen? So here it is, 2 Kings chapter 2, the word of the Lord remains. So if you'll stand with me in reading of the scripture, 2 Kings chapter 2, the word of the Lord through the prophets remains. 2 Kings chapter 2, it's, it's kind of in the middle of your book now. We're getting towards the middle, which is good for us as we're moving through the scriptures. And when you read 2 Kings 2, you may have a little bit more understanding after today, but it's still difficult. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, please stand here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you shall live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophet, and I will not leave you. You get that. You understand that, right? God's saying, I'm not going to leave you. All right. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. That was fifty men. They're sons of prophets. Why? Because Elijah has made disciples, calling upon the word of the Lord. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to one side and the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let me be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I have been taken from you, it shall be for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Has he left Israel? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and the other and Elisha went over. Amen. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do not leave us nor forsake us. Father, we thank you for Christ. That he did not leave us sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. Father, amidst the unfaithful people, we are unfaithful in many ways. You have shown yourself to be faithful. 
that your word remains. And Father, we see in our day and age, we look around us and we see all the world and the chaos and all the things falling apart. We know that your word remains and is true. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some things just don't remain, right? We love listening to music and on devices. It, it wasn't as always that easy just picking up a cell phone, hitting Spotify, and choosing your song. Uh, in the 1800s, there was something called a phonograph. We can put a picture of it up on the screen. You've probably never seen one of those before. It's a phonograph. That was the first musical playing device, okay? They had a graphophone, a gramophone, and a music box in the 1800s, and that's how they played their music. In the 1900s, there's, there became some phenomena called the radio. They had those dials and the knobs, and somehow it, it, it got got waves of information from some tower in some way, and you turn the knob, and it came on. And people would listen to the radio. They'd gather around this box and hear music and, and, and things that were being said and speeches of important people like presidents. Later in the 1900s, there became something called the jukebox. And you'd go to a place and you'd put in a little quarter and uh, out you picked your song and it began to play the song. And now you get to my day and age. When I was a little kid, we had something called audio cassettes. That was actually my audio cassette that I had when I was a little child. That was what I walked around with. That was beautiful. Fisher Price. You could actually record on it. That was a little bit more fancy. I didn't have that one. But then it moved to the personal Walkman, which you had headphones and you could put into your head and you could play your little tape. You go one more, you can see what a tape is, a cassette, or maybe you can't. But there it is. There's the tape and it has this little roll that rolls through and it plays music. I don't even know how all this stuff works, but it did. It did. You may never have seen this before if you were born after 1995, maybe maybe later. But then you have the CD player, right? The CD player. Remember, I can remember like scrubbing my CDs that had scratches on them. So you had this huge list of CDs and you had the CDs in a binder and you try to put them in this thing and it play. But if you moved it too much or you banged it, it scratched your CDs. And then you have, you have to clean your CD or you have to get a new CD. You have to pay like $10 for a CD. I mean, this was, this was hard stuff. That, that's no longer the case, is it? Then, then you have the first iPod, right? Remember that? Look at that, man. That looks awesome. I had one of those as well in college. I thought it was cool. Listen to your own music that you bought online. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of God will remain forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8, talks about it in James as well. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. The story of kings, which we've said, is that the word of God will remain even if the people of God have forgotten him. The northern kingdom goes into exile first and then the southern kingdom through Babylon, the northern kingdom through Assyria and then the southern kingdom will go next into Babylon. How will God's word remain true the line of David, how 
will he remain on the throne? And at the end of the book, there's a glimmer of hope, a promise of David that his son will still be on the throne in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 27. In the 37th year of exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month, and on the 27th day of the month, evil Maradah, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. What? And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments. And every day of his life, he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs as long as he lived. And that's how the book ends. The word of God remains too true to the promise of David. Now the coming one who will have the eternal kingdom forever, that will be Jesus. And of course, God's word remains true. And right in the middle, we have this beautiful picture of the word of the Lord remaining through the spirit of the living God Let us not miss what God is doing through the story of Elijah and Elisha pointing us further to the word of God becoming flesh, making his dwelling among men. And yet the spirit of the living God will continue in and through God's church, his people, as they carry the mantle of declaring the gospel to all nations. Look at verse 8 of Second Kings chapter 2. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water. And the water was parted to one side and the other till two of them could go over on dry ground. This is the water of the Jordan River, the exit from the promised land. This is our first point this morning. Rejecting God's word brings judgment. In the first four verses, Elijah goes to three places. He goes to Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. These three cities coincide when Joshua comes into the promised land in the taking of the land. Gilgal is where they set up the 12 stones in remembrance of what had God has done in the Exodus in bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land as they crossed the Jordan River. Right after the Jordan River, they stopped in Gilgal. Bethel is associated with Ai, a city that was destroyed. And of course, Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down. And just as Israel came across the Jordan River into the promised land on dry ground, as the Lord parted the waters for Elijah. Elijah is now exiting the promised land, almost as if to signal the exile, which is coming to Israel. It's a direct reversal of the conquest of Joshua. It is almost as if Israel has now become Egypt. And the man of God with the word of God is leaving Israel. So just as Moses dies outside the promised land, Elijah's time on this earth will end outside of the promised land. The reader of the story is left to wonder, will the word of the Lord continue in Israel? Has God left them? Will the man of God who is filled with the Spirit of God, seemingly the only one left who is definitely the head, and we'll get to that in a minute, will he, what will happen when he leaves? Well, because of 
their disobedience, Israel will go into exile. They will be dragged from their homes, their good land that God has given them to be slaves in Babylon. What a turn of events that we shared a few passages ago in which they took the promised land and they had rest on all sides and Joshua declared to the people to cross the line and, and worship the Lord God alone. You can say this about yourself or your family. This will never happen to me. Oh, yes, but it does. It it doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly, being lulled to sleep by the pleasures of the world, the beating down of the troubles of this world. And this is why we must stay in the word of God. We must stay close to the word of the Lord. We must behold his word just as Elisha would not leave the man of God. We must remain close to the word of God because it brings life. To our soul. The word of God points us to the one who brings life and not death, to the one who brings blessings and not curses, to the one who has fulfilled the law and the prophets so that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But a rejection of God's word a decision to move away from hearing of the word of God into our hearts and our minds and our souls will lead to consequences. In this case, judgment. John twelve forty eight. Jesus is talking. He says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And then he says this, that the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. It's the word that is the judge. John three eighteen. whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Rejection of God's word in our lives brings about serious effects and consequences. It brings judgment. Verse 9 says this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall be not be so. And they still went on and talked. Behold, chariots of fire, horses of fire separated the two of them. Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. This is point number two this morning. It's thus God's word has the power to save. Amen? You might be thinking, how how do you get that from this text, Rob? (laughs) Right? Well, a lot of meditation, I'll tell you that. Elisha says to Elijah, my father, my father, this term of endearment, understanding his role of authority in the life of Israel and in his own life, Elisha is a disciple of Elijah. 
And then he calls him the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. Because, why does he call him this? Why? Because no longer are the kings protecting Israel from being destroyed by the armies of its enemies. It is now Elijah as the man of God who is empowered by the Spirit of God to proclaim the word of God that is Israel's horseman, that is Israel's chariot, that is Israel's protector. The Hebrew here is singular, and the understanding is Elisha is calling Elijah the horseman, the chariot of Israel. And it will happen again when Elisha dies in chapter 13. The king will call him the horseman and chariot of Israel. It will be the same terminology used here of Elijah, of Elisha. Why? Because Elijah and Elisha are now considered the protector and the defender of God's people. And and you read the text, the chapters after this, the armies of the Lord are protecting through the word of Elisha, God's people. Elijah is best known for his showdown with King Ahab. The 450 prophets of Baal in which he calls down fire from heaven shows that there is one true God in Israel. He says, how long, he's talking to the people now, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. He goes on to show them that there is only one God in Israel by the Lord sending fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice on the altar of the Lord. The question that was plaguing Israel at this time is the same question that plagues God's people in our lives today. Which side of the fence are you on? Are you on the Lord's side or are you on the world's side? You see, Christians, we cannot ride the fence of the world. We are either all in for the Lord or we will be swallowed up by the world. Our God does not want to be a timeshare where we go to him when we need him and the rest of our time is spent in in our home that we have created. That we remain in the one who has the power of salvation. Jesus had some hard sayings. He did. And some could not understand, could not have faith in, as he would speak in riddles or, or parables. And these riddles and parables will help those who understand him, understand him more. And those who, who do not understand him, they would be closed. Their eyes would be closed. And after a very difficult saying in John chapter 6, verse 66, he says this, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, that's, that's what's going on here in the text of Elisha is not wanting to leave Elijah. Why? Because he has the word of God. He has the spirit of God indwelling in him, and he is speaking the word of the Lord. He doesn't want to leave him. Just like Jesus' disciples didn't want to leave Jesus, he has the words of eternal life. Elisha asked for for something really, really kind of weird here. He asked for a double portion, right? Double portion. Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. In verse 9, this double portion was the firstborn's inheritance. And Elisha 
he will actually do the miracles that Elijah did, except he will do them twice the amount. So if Elisha did 16, Elijah did eight, he will do double what Elisha, Elijah has done. And Elisha will be the one who will come after Elijah. And Jesus points to John the Baptist as the one who will come before the Messiah. And thus, Elijah is like John the Baptist as the one who will become before the one who will be greater after him. You see, Malachi and the prophets will get there in a few weeks. But he predicted that Elijah was going to come before the Messiah. And Jesus says, John the Baptist is Elijah. Matthew eleven thirteen. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So what are we seeing here? In the Old Testament, we're seeing this pattern of God's spirit resting upon a great prophet of God who will lead Israel. And then there comes a greater prophet of God who will do more things than the preceding prophet. And so even right here we see this pattern of predicting the prophet who is to come, right? We see the, the pattern in Moses of the, of the prediction of the high priest who will intercede on behalf of his people, who will fulfill the covenant of God, and it will intercede on behalf of the people of God. We see in, in, in the king, we see the, the, the God who will have be the, the man who will come as king after God's own heart, like David, who he himself will build the temple, except his body will be the temple. Jesus will be the temple. And now we see the prophet, the priest, the king, and now the prophet who will come in the spirit of the living God to declare the word of God to the people. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among Men, I'm reading the Old Testament now just to make sure we understand we're on, we're on the same page here. God is, is showing us the beauty of his word through Christ in this passage. But he's asking for the spirit to come. Elisha is asking for the spirit let me, let me tell you what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. When he's talking about prayer with his disciples, he's talking about asking the Lord. He says this, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of his a fish, give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Wow. Now we're looking directly back at this context and this passage in which Elisha asked the heaven... Ask Elijah for the spirit, for the Lord to grant him the spirit. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you ask, the Lord will give what? The Holy Spirit. Now we're moving to the church. Now we're moving to the church. Let's look at it. 12b here. Elisha has gone up in the whirlwind. Then he took hold of his own clothes. This is Elisha now. He takes hold of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen to him and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen to him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord 
the God of Elijah. And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and the other, and Elisha went over. Now, God gives his spirit to his people or his disciples to share his word to others. That's our third point this morning. God gives a spirit to his people to share his word. What is happening? Elisha is ripping his clothes in two and he's putting on the clothes of the one who came before him. You see, the worry of God's people at this time, the worry of the prophets, the worry of Elisha was the spirit of God. When Elijah left, that the spirit of God would leave the people. The word of God would leave the people. And yet it remains. It's passed on to Elisha. The spirit is passed on. Look at, look at what it says in Ephesians 4.20, but That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, take off those old clothes which belong to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's telling them, take off your clothes and put on, take up the mantle of the spirit of the living God to put on the spirit of the living God. Now where do we see this happening in our scriptures? The picture is Jesus telling his disciples as he goes to heaven, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. I must leave so that he must come. And Jesus was lifted and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he passes on to the church to the continue in the ministry of Christ as the body of Christ through his spirit. In, in, in verses 3 and 5. The sons of the prophets, these other prophets, inform Elisha, Yahweh will take your master from over your head today. That's the literal translation in the Hebrew. He will take your master from over your head today. And Elisha is considered Elisha's protector. He's considered the head. He's about to lose his leader. And Elijah enters into heaven But Elisha will continue the work of the head just as the church's head is Christ. The church serves and loves in the power of Christ through his spirit. This is what Jesus said. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. He says greater works will the church do. Why? Because now the gospel will go to the nations. They will bring dead men to life. Through the power of the spirit of the living God, church in Latvia is coming alive by the power of God through his church. That's a very powerful thing. God is working amongst his people. You see, the church, the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead now lives in you. You are God's plan for declaring his gospel among the nations. God has chosen you, his church. Jesus called his disciples to carry out the ministry of Jesus to the ends of the earth. God's church has now been given a task, and this is what Elisha does. As he re-enters the promised land in the same way that Elijah exited, he re-enters with the cloak of Elijah, striking the waters and then parting like 
Moses in the Red Sea, like Joshua when he came across back into the waters. Now, verse 19 says this. Now, the men of the city said to Elijah, behold, the situation in this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad. The land is unfruitful. And he said, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of the water, threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I've healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elijah spoke. According to the word of God from the man of God who is filled with the spirit of the living God. This is our last point. God's word has the power to bring blessing from what is cursed. God said specific curses would come upon the land. But if they did not obey, yet Elisha, just as Jesus did, comes taking that which is cursed and making it a blessing. In this story, Elisha took the land that was unfruitful, wombs that were unfruitful, to bring about fruit. He would then resurrect people from the dead. He would heal the leprous. He would feed hundreds of prophets with few loaves of bread. Think about that, huh? Sound familiar? You see, Jesus would come to show what was cursed could be blessed by the name of Christ, by his word. He would be the one who would take the curse of sin upon himself so that we could be a people who are blessed because we are called children of the living God. And now he's given his spirit, he's, he's crucified on the cross, he's resurrected from the dead, he's gone to sit at the right hand, and he, his, he has not left. The spirit of the living God now dwells in his church to carry out the ministry of Christ. To go and be a blessing in a cursed land with the people who have rejected the holy and righteous God through the proclamation of his word. This is church. This is who we are. A people that uphold Jesus Christ. We love him and we serve him and we live his mission. May we be a church that does that. The word of God remains forever. Father, we thank you for your word that it does remain. We thank you that you have given us this story and this picture of how you have not left us, that your spirit remains upon us for a work, for a ministry. May we cling to you as Elisha, cling to Elijah. May we see that the man of God is Jesus Christ, the holy and righteous God who has the very words of life. And may we see him as all that we need in this life. Father, there are many people in this room today that are struggling, hurting. They need to know that there is a God who loves them. He has not abandoned them. Father, you have given us the opportunity to minister, to serve, to love as you have loved. Give us the strength according to your spirit. For we ask these things not because we are good. In the name of Jesus Christ, the righteous. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna respond to the word of God this morning through song, through prayer. The altar is open. If you stand, we're gonna respond to God's word.